Steve, it's Friday. How goes it? Uh, it's good. It's really good, man. Just uh, another day working from home. Yeah. Any Checking plans for things. the weekend? Just, uh, uh, probably going to go fishing and maybe camping. We'll see. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. yeah, we'll see. I might. Maybe we'll, I might. I was thinking about going like, imagine, it, you know, uh, this time of year in Boise that you can't really go north because you, you're going to have a lot of snow. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's so there's only so many areas you could go camping. I think it's going to be pretty crowded. So I was thinking, toying around the idea of maybe going up Sunday afternoon and just going Sunday night and coming back Monday or something. So right. get the family out of the house. My, you know, three-year-old is going stir crazy. doesn't quite understand why uh, she can't see her friends. She can't see grandma. She's not going to school. So, yeah, you know, and we're obviously being very cautious about this. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it'd be good to get out. It's uh, gorgeous weather here yesterday and today, so um, we got out just a little bit, and you can definitely tell so did everybody else. Like, <laughs> you <Right>. know, <laughs> people just want to see the sun and be outside, so yeah, cool, man. Well, yeah, we uh, more listener questions, man. You ready for this? Yeah, I like it. Let's do it. All right, so one was a follow-up to our TSS episode three. Um, where we talked about pack weight, base pack weight, and gear. Uh, we had someone write in and said, obviously, your base weight at 15 to 16 pounds is for an, is for an early season hunt. Can you discuss what changes you make for a late season hunt, such as a November elk hunt, and what type of weight do you think is added accordingly? Um, I don't know if you have the numbers, Steve, on like a, a late season pack list, but let's just maybe talk about what changes for you and then as we do we can kind of you know figure out what weight that adds essentially yeah absolutely um honestly not much changes it's uh i literally in my gear list i have um it's basically broken out by like base gear food hunting gear clothing and then i have another column that just says cold weather uh and cold weather is extra base layer um which could be you know depends on Normally I pack long johns. I, I I like to sleep in them and then have my pants just sitting there. Um, but so long johns, a liner for my quilt. I have this uh, Sea to Summit. Uh, I think it's called like a reactor, thermolite reactor or something like that. It's basically just a fleecy, super light fleecy blanket that you can kind of crawl into. Uh, I have that for when it gets really cold. Um, rain gear is again something I typically, you know, very rarely don't pack. Uh, in um, September. So that's on the cold weather optional and then gators beanie. And then, um, the only thing that would vary is my, um, uh, I, and I've got, uh, the, um, it was new to, to me last year was the first lights, their new puffy pants and their, uh, what's their glove? Brooks glove. Brooks, Yeah. The glassy mitt. Yeah. Their little glassing mitt. Those two things were additional. So, um, but if I'm looking at like just a weight perspective, going from a September to like extreme November, you're maybe four pounds, five pounds tops. Uh, I would say you're adding. Uh, that's probably on the high side. Yeah, I mean okay. the those puffy pants are a pound. Uh, I would upgrade to a heavier puffy jacket. Um, that's going to be like you know another eight ounces. Obviously rain gear that that could you know that'd be a pound or two easy. Um, so yeah, you know, just throw in four pounds and additional to be safe shelter. Uh, my shelter's not, that one's always, um, even in September, right. I'm looking at the weather. So if it's really like, you know, we can't have, 
you know, a foot of snow and September and cold temperatures elk hunting. Um, so that I always have basically my bivy sack and my tarp is my go-to. And then if the weather's looking crummy, then I have a tent. Um, I, last year I did switch over to, uh, it's called the tarp tent Eon Lee. Uh, and it's actually, it weighs identical to my tarp and bivy sack. It's 15 ounces. Uh, it's a killer tent. It's made out of Cuban fiber, fairly kind of expensive. I think they're like 500 buck, $500 tent. Um, but it's, it's a full on tent that would handle a lot of weather and wind at 15 ounces. It's pretty incredible. So would you worry uh, about that tent with snow? I'm not talking major snow. It's obviously not a four season tent. Uh, but basically even major like... snow, I wouldn't worry about it. No, it's, really? it's actually a pretty incredible tent. Uh, I was been very, very impressed with it. In fact, I just had it. Um, I think over the, uh, well, I think it was like Monday or Tuesday night. I was just, my daughter was bored and every once in a while we like go set up the tent in the backyard and pretend to camp for an hour or two, you know, just hang out. So I had just set it up this, this other day and, um, yeah, it's uh, again, very impressed with it. We had some super strong winds two nights ago. I was set up in the back and, um, I took my son out there who's, uh, 10 months old and we just like sat inside of it and hung out. My wife thought I was crazy, but, uh, <laughs> cause it was like, inside it was pretty nice. So, yeah. um, yeah, but yeah, so I, in general, I'd say yeah, maybe you got a, a late season tent. If you are predicting a lot of snow, yeah, you're going to need something with a little bit more support and structure. Um, you know, some of the, some guys I know have the, the, um, the uh, TPs with the stove. That's a, you know, we've, I think we've talked about that briefly in the past. It's a, a pretty killer combo. Um, especially if you're like committed to some somewhere where the weather, if the weather gets really, really bad, but you can't necessarily leave. Say it's, it's you coming out, uh, for a 10 day hunt. Right. And it's like, you're not going home. If the weather's bad, you got a 20 hour drive and you only got a week to do this or you're in Alaska or, you've you know flown in the middle of the frank church you're kind of stuck there till a plane comes and gets you i think those scenarios um would be pretty killer to have that you know tp stove combo and those are uh i think i'm just throw out a rough number like you're like five pounds for the whole setup two and a half pounds for a stove and two and a half pounds for the a tp you know roughly i think maybe a little lighter than that mm-hmm. yeah but you're t- typically if you're doing that you're splitting that with a buddy right so you each got a two and a half pound shelter or a two and a half pounds of weight in your pack right yeah got it yeah do you um yeah i mean it's one of those things too just keep in mind that this guy was kind of questioning the the reality of that base pack weight but some of the things he threw into the email oh. i won't get into it was weapon optics etc we kind of discussed in that episode we're talking base pack weight with gear um fully realizing that you know yeah if it's a november rifle elk hunt you're strapping a rifle to your pack that's obviously adding a decent chunk of weight um, those variables, as we discussed, we're kind of leaving out and talking about what is the base weight, what is that base gear, and what does that look like? So clearly at the trailhead, um, like I said, especially with weapon and optics, you could be strapping on a good chunk of weight there. Yeah, and I, and I said, I, yeah, it just makes no sense to me to like include a the weapon, water, and food into that calculation. Um, just uh, food, I guess you you could if you if you just very making it like this is how much food I pack per day weight wise. Um, but, uh, the other things are just so variable and, and, you know, 90% of the time your weapons should be in your hand, right? Uh, bow or rifles in your hand or slung over your shoulder with quick access to it. So speaking of optics, we had a question on tripods. So this guy says, I've been looking at tripods. I'm wondering if investing in a carbon fiber tripod is worth it, or if I can get by with some of the cheaper aluminum options that will do the job. What are the pros and cons? Also, what should I look for when it comes to tripod height? 
if it matters, I'm six foot two inches tall. Cool. Um, man, tripods are there's, you know, I think you probably heard like go back to uh, the early rifle series building by a country rifle. I'd Kleckner on there and he was talking about, um, you know, putting a good chunk of your money towards the scope, right? Mm-hmm. Like a, a, you know, a great rifles, you know, a great rifle and a crappy scope is not going to get you very far. Uh, but a mediocre rifle and a really good scope, you're going to be better off. Right. Uh, I think the same is true with tripods, right? Like if you go buy a $2,000 Swaro and throw it on a $30 aluminum tripod, you like are in no way going to even come close to maximizing the quality of that optic. Um, so it's very, very important to get a good quality tripod underneath there. Um, and then from there it becomes, it's really, there, there's, there is one thing with aluminum and that it resonates. So if, if you tap it and the, the vibration just kind of actually like goes all the way through the tripod. So if you just kick the leg, you know, that's going to carry all, all the way through up into the, into the glass and the glass is going to sit there and vibrate, which, you know, it, when the wind's blowing, it's super annoying. Uh, when you're, you're, you're pan and then you stop, you got to wait like an extra, you know, five to 10 seconds for, for everything to kind of settle down. Carbon's going to do that much, much faster. Um, and so that's one thing to consider. And then, you know, but I was going to say, you could get a heavy aluminum tripod that's going to be really stout and robust. Um, and, you know, compare that to a super light carbon tripod and they're probably going to give you equal performance. So carbon's really like as light as possible, but also as stable as possible. Right. Um, and, and that's the kind of the trade off you're looking there. I would absolutely, there's some guys I know that use, you know, like a $30 literally, uh, aluminum tripod. And I just think they're out of their minds and they're just doing it from a, a weight perspective. Cause you, you can get those ones can be super, super light. Um, but you're just not going to get the performance out of it. So if you're if you're on a really really tight budget and that's all you can afford, it is what it is. But I would definitely recommend um, if you you know if you can jumping up into a carbon fiber tripod. Um, there, yeah, the performance is just awesome. So we do um, with with SNS Archery, my other company, um, we've been selling uh, slick tripods, S L I K for for man 10 plus years um and they have a couple models there's 624 and 634 that are just fantastic um let me as i'm talking here i'll pull up how much i can't remember how much they weigh um or how much they cost they're 250 or something like that mm-hmm. um but they are they are fantastic tripods um for the price and and they are truly um yeah 230 and 250 for the two different models um they are they're gonna last you a decade i mean they're they're built really well and tough and so it's not uh you know you you buy it kind of buy once cry once type thing right um that's because it is a very quality product that's going to last you a long time yeah as as far as his height is concerned um in general i'd say it doesn't doesn't matter that he's six two or five eight there's there's really two different levels of tripods that kind of become consistent is there's one that's essentially just glassing sitting on your butt um and that's fantastic for the mountains right when you're uh you've got elevation you've got a, a kind of vantage points um and and in general you want um as a general rule you want to use um you want the tripod as low to the ground as possible right just to be as stable as possible just going back to same reason you want carbon fiber over aluminum if you're you know apples to apples on weight um carbon fiber is just going to outperform and be more stable so you want the tripod as low to the ground as possible and you want to use um, you want to use the legs as much as possible, and not use the center column. 
you don't want to – I'll see people do it all the time. They'll stick the legs out, and then they'll have the center column jacked all the way to the top. Um, and that's just going to exaggerate the movement, right? It's not going to be as stable because you've got 12 inches of the center column extended out where really you'd rather – raise up the legs and, and have those out. And then on the legs themselves, you want to start with adjusting the, the, the upper portion, the thicker portion first, and then get down, you know, if you need it to get higher, then you start using the, the lower, smaller, thinner sections. Cause again, you're just losing stability as you extend those out. Um, and then, yeah, so just between a short tripod and a tall tripod, um, you know, the, I think, Probably no question the the tall one's going to be more universal, right? Um, you you on an antelope hunt, super flat sagebrush country, right? You're going to want a tall tripod that you can stand up and see over the top of sagebrush. Uh, traditionally, we've you know uh, over the last ten years have packed video cameras a lot. You need a tall tripod to to kind of keep the camera up high. Um, but if you're just focused on mountain hunting and and being as light and compact as possible like that slick 624 is just phenomenal choice um super stout super stable uh and yeah you're just sitting on your butt glassing which is you know like i said for me 98 percent of the time i'm sitting down on my butt glassing uh and, and uphill or downhill you're just sitting down um so uh yeah that's uh i guess to me some of the pros and cons what have you experienced um, I had a question before I get to that. You mentioned the the six two four, the six three four. The differences in those two, just the height options. Like talk us because you mentioned those models and the pricing. Yeah, purely on those two is just just the length of the carbon. So everything's identical. Just okay. imagine each chunk of carbon's uh, two inches shorter. Uh, so when you basically collapse, it's two to three inches shorter. A six twenty four is, but then as you extend each of the four leg sections out, each one adds two to three inches, right? So that adds up to being, you know, like a foot taller uh, when it's all the way expanded. Okay, got it. Makes sense. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I you guys glass way more than I do. I'm not the expert there <laughs> at all, for sure. Like, I, I actually yeah. run the ProMaster. Um, I've been running that one for, for a while, and I like yeah. it. It is, you know, a little bit heavier. Um, yeah, but yeah it's been good for me. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's another one we sell is ProMaster... I think they've changed XC, the model yeah. number, but it's like XC525 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. the 525C. Uh, yeah, great, great tripod. Um, the other thing I, I guess we'll hit on since we're here is, is the head. Um, lots of different ways to shake it. Uh, the the best from a spotting scope glassing is, is a really good, smooth, fluid pan head. Um, I, there's guys who you like to use those grip ball heads, um, or a ball head. It's going to be very, very rare. in the exception that those are going to be smooth enough to pan with. Um, so, you know, if you're just, um, you know, like for actually the kind of how I've adapted to glassing is I use my binos to find stuff. So I put my binos on the tripod, find a deer and then put the spine scope on and just zoom in on that deer to get a better look at it, right? Um, my buddy Jason Wright, who we've had on here a bunch, he loves just to put his spotter on right away. I mean, he'll quick glance with it, with, you know, with his binos, usually using like his, um, you know, sitting down, putting his elbows on his knees, getting a stable and glance, and then he really likes to get that spotter and just dig into the country and look behind every branch and tree. Um, and, and in that scenario for him, he really needs a fluid panhead, right? Because he's actually like glassing covering country with the spotting scope, not just like 
finding an animal, locking in on it. And, and, um, a good kind of analogy is like, um, if you think about cameras, right. If, like, if you're just still shooting, you don't need to pan, right? Like you, you basically just put, point the camera exactly where you want, lock it in and then press the shutter button. But if you're running video, you need to sit there and, and follow the subject, right? Like is it's mm-hmm. someone's walking, you're sitting there panning the camera. It's, it's kind of a very good analogy of either it's static and a ball head's fine, but if you want to be panning that around and moving it smoothly, that's when you need a really good three-way um, video head. So something, um, yeah, I see guys using ball heads all the time. That drives me freaking nuts because they're uh, and basically garbage. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there, there are a few ones that are, constructed well and do an okay job but but none of them are going to outperform a good good pan head um but typically a pan head you know is going to be a touch heavier i just one of those things you got to weigh the performance of so um again it kind of goes back to uh don't buy a two three thousand dollar spine scope and shoot yourself in the foot with a, with a crappy tripod and a crappy pan head where you can't really take advantage of it so um you know if a good spine good spine scope is going to have less eye fatigue um and so you could really just kind of bury your head into the scope and sit there and pan for half an hour. Right. Um, but if you got a really choppy, nasty, like uh, pan head, that's not, uh, not smooth, you end up like, you're not gonna be able to do that. You're going to constantly be like taking breaks and getting it adjusted. So a uh, short little rant for you. No, I like it, man. All right. On to Kodiak, dude. I, just oh, even getting oh, a question gosh, about Kodiak back. makes me anxious. <laughs> like in a good way. Yeah. Like, oh, I gotta get back. <laughs> okay um it's kind of a two-part question from somebody on kodiak um this guy's basically looking to go do a november uh deer hunts uh which we did and he was asking number one is the 1800 big enough for that when you're just day hunting we'll hit that and then number two he was asking about our thoughts on a lodge-based hunt versus a truly boat-based hunt where you're actually staying on the boat full-time like overnight you're on the boat for six days unless you're obviously on the ground hunting um so kind of let's hit the 1800 first is it enough for november day hunting on kodiak and then number two thoughts on boat based versus lodge based for that same hunt um so yeah 1800 for day hunting up there absolutely we were uh running prototypes up there while we were hunting so uh it worked great uh they were i had it full because we had uh we had to pack so much extra clothes because we'd get so stinking wet um, that we definitely had that thing full. And it was wasn't frigidly cold, but it was cold enough that we had puffy jackets and and then full rain gear. And you'd take you know extra sun, layer, yeah, yeah, extra layers. The sun did come out. You take your rain gear off, but it was perfect for that. I mean, I, I designed that thing to be slim line and lopes, you know, low profile and just all the brush that you're busting on that hunt, like not having a lid up on top not having a big wide bag, um, you all know, that really, stuff really mattered. <laughs> yeah. All that stuff really, really yeah. mattered. Uh, the best thing, I don't know if I said this on the podcast, but I was describing it to somebody. I was like, imagine the grass in your yard being six feet tall. Like just imagine being an ant and trying to go through your grass. Like that's yeah, you on Kodiak, right? Like it's that thick and nasty in places. So anything you can do to limit, um, limit things snagging on stuff and limit your profile going through that. It's going to make a big difference. Yeah. That'd be a perfect example of like a shorter frame is going to be way nicer there than a taller frame. So yeah. 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 If you guys just, if you're hearing about that, I want to hear about our recap of that hunt. It was episode 201 and 202. Um, is where we talked about our Kodiak hunt from this past fall. 
Um, yeah, he asked about boat versus lodge. He also asked where we stayed, which I guess we haven't explicitly talked about. Um, so we can we can get into that as well. But you haven't de- we we haven't done a boat hunt, Steve. But it is something that no. you know we looked into, considered. What are you just having done at least a lodge based hunt, and then comparing that to the idea of going back to a boat and being on a boat every night? What are your general thoughts there? Uh, yeah, I guess I just look at cost. Um, the I think we basically got all the advantages of a boat hunt without having to sleep on a boat every night. Like had a lodge to go back to. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine the boat hunt would be cheaper but maybe not because you've you've got uh you know a boat captain or whatever that's with you you know 24 7 right um i'm assuming that's how that works mm-hmm. they're obviously not gonna leave you on the boat by yourself so um they got to be charging you for that time um but yeah so we did the lodge lodge based hunt it was cushy and nice and relaxing like an absolute blast we gained five pounds because uh, we were eating like thanksgiving dinner every night uh it was awesome um <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, in that time of year, wet and cold, um, you know, depend on the boat. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I'd have to, I don't know the rates of the boat hunt because yeah. that would obviously, you know, if you want to do it on the cheap, that'd be a big factor. Yeah. Um, for, but for us, it was, you know, you're basically like thirty-two fifty, I think per person for the lodge hunt. And like we talked about, like in that podcast, if you go back and listen to it, the value you get for that is just incredible um for all the food and the, the comfort and and then being able to you know just get dropped off and you're very mobile i mean as mobile as you'd be in a boat hunt where you know every morning we're getting dropped off and hunting different areas and mm. uh, it was just fantastic so um and if you really want to do cheap yeah you could just get dropped off and stay on the beach obviously you know brown bears are an issue uh, you'd want some type of fence and you probably wouldn't sleep that well at night. So that'd be something to kind of consider yeah. uh, unless you're super familiar with being in brown bear territory. But I know that was our first trip to Kodiak. I, I would not have wanted to stay on the beach just, you know, yeah. going into it. We were super like, you know, yeah, just first experience the brown bear country. They're thick in here. This country's thick, like the caribou hunt, you'd see grizzlies, but everything was so open. Like it yeah. was never really, Unless you're like walking through the river bottoms or it's brushing and thick, you're kind of on edge. But in general, you were never it's like, oh, there's a so you know, grizzly bear over there 800 yards. But it was so open that like you have so much time to see him coming um, mm-hmm. that it wasn't you know, not near scary. There's yeah. a way different story. And they were even like because we got dropped off on a boat. You know, we leave the lodge every morning. Um, and when they drop us off, they wanted us to have like that first light of visibility, Daylight. even at the beach, just in case brown bears were there. So it's not like the bears are way up in the mountains. The one and only bear we saw was actually down on the beach. Um, thankfully it was as we were flying out, but yeah, I mean, it's it, my general thought is if you want to try and do that Kodiak hunt super cheap and more DIY would be to go early, get flown in and stay high. But for a November hunt, um, yeah, just cause of weather and all that, I'd, you know, if you can swing it and save and do, you know, more of the lodge based style hunt, I think for November, it's probably the way to go. Um, yeah. Yeah. And if you just want to do it, it was a, super cheap, I'd go early. Yeah. It was one heck of an experience. Like I said, um, and the boats, it would just depend on the boats accommodations of how crummy, I just don't know what that looks like. You know, it's always mm-hmm. gotta be a big, big boat with, I'm assuming some rooms in it under, I don't, I don't know. Are you just sleeping on the deck of the boat? Uh, I have yeah. no idea what that looks like. Yeah. Like I could see that being kind of miserable, like a small cabin, you're sleeping on the deck and a, you know, I, I don't yeah. know. 
dude uh, some of those raining every day yeah those days when we came back and we're wet and cold and all of our gear is wet i'm sure there's ways to semi dry things out on a boat um but at the same time literally going back to somewhere where you can take a nice warm shower throw your clothes in the dryer like truly get warm and comfortable you know makes us sound soft and weak but it was amazing (laughs) yeah yeah. it was awesome (laughs) um yeah in terms of who did we go with you know part of the reason we didn't mention that back in the previous episodes um was because the guys that we were going through um you know they they're been up there fishing for a really long time and they do a, a long fishing season and have great services the hunting side's a little bit newer for them they're kind of expanding um their time that they're up there into the hunting seasons a bit more and looking at you know expanding their offerings as well as you know doing a hunting specific trip or more of a combo trip kind of like what we did where you can hunt some and fish some and um they were looking at dates and what capacity they had and so we kind of purposely didn't want to overwhelm them with questions from listeners right away at that time um, but we've talked to them a bit since and you know they're happy to have that information out there now so essentially it's um why did foxtail lodge i almost drew a blank on the name it's foxtail oh. lodge um they're up in larson bay uh which is you know on obviously the island of kodiak larson bay i was it was cool man you go into kodiak um flying commercially and it's a cool little town, but then, you know, catching that flight basically across the island and going over to Larson Bay and then landing in Larson Bay. And it's, I want to say 20 something people live there year round. Um, and then seasonally they have like a big fishery there. So seasonally there's more people um, when the fishery is operating, but it's just a cool little, like truly this tiny town, if you can even call it that, um, out on its own on a part of the island. It was super neat, but yeah, um, Foxtail Lodge, Larson Bay, their websites, it comes right up if you just Google Foxtail Lodge Kodiak, but it's KodiakAlaskaFishingLodge.com. Um, and yeah, Jerry's the guy that runs that operation. Um, Rafe is one of the guys that helps him that time of year with the hunts as well. But, you know, when we say lodge, Steve, we should probably, I guess, elaborate. Essentially, Jerry's lives there. It's his house, uh, he's essentially built that or expanded upon it himself. And then, um, outside the back, there's essentially the, the little cabins or little bunk rooms where you stay, but all the meals and everything are essentially in his house with him. And it's, I mean, Steve, we saw him, um, back during show season in in February and both of us have literally started calling him uncle Jerry. Like it's true. like family up there. Yeah, no, it, it is. I mean, you are, um, it's, you're basically become part of, of, um, you just ha- you're just hanging out with Jerry, you know, in the evenings and mornings and everything, and uh, it's it's such a fun, awesome experience, and and yeah, it's it's what I like too is it's it's small and personal, right? Yeah. You're not it's not this giant um, lodge operation where there's you know there's it's your group and five other groups hunting at the same time, and they're you know just shuttling you in and out like cattle. It's basically you're up there with Jerry, um, it's your week. The whole focus is on you, you and your group. Um, so it's very personal. You can kind of cater to, you know, do you want to go fishing that day? Do you want to go hunting that day? Uh, he's super open and flexible on that. It was awesome. Cause we, we literally like the night before twice, like, you know yeah. what, Jerry, we think we want to go fish tomorrow. Uh, like, all right, let's do it. You know, and they go cut up some bait and get ready. Um, 
so yeah, it was, it was just such an awesome experience, but yeah, it is, it's a, it's a house, it's a nice facility. And then there's two little bunk houses in the back that, um, like we didn't even stay in one cause it's just the three of us. We're like, well, we're not going to gunk up the other one. So Jerry's got to clean it. We'll just stay in, in this one. And it had basically a little mini living room, its own bathroom. Uh, but in the living room was a, a recliner and a couch and a TV and, you know, we were there in November. So fl- football game was on. Yeah. There was a fridge in there. Um, and they had two small bedrooms. Each bedroom had these, uh, two twin beds. So four guys could sleep inside of it. And that's totally like, you know, way nicer than we were expecting. Just, you know, you just yeah. kind of don't know. And most of the stuff when I've gone to Alaska, um, the lodging is, um, a shed. And these small kind of, yeah, they're sheds. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was way, way nice. I mean, it was like staying in a, a, a nice hotel for sure. Um, so it was, yeah, such a great experience. There are other lodges up there. It sounds like that are big, like basically miniature hotels, right? There's 10, 15 rooms in them. Yeah. Um, just a way different type of operation, um, where you are more, um, you know, they're just shuttling more, more hunters through and you just lose that personal service. Um, so it's definitely, uh, yeah, highly, highly recommend going up there with Jerry. And I know we've talked, uh, we're going to get Rafe on and tell, tell some stories. He's quite the storyteller and chat. Cat, chat for a while for sure so we're going to get him on talk more about the hunt some specifics and um yeah see if uh, i know they've got a couple spots open for this fall so um try to try to help them get some get some hunters booked yeah for sure the other thing just worth mentioning too we talked about the accommodations in terms of lodging but i would say that the their meat care and you going oh. home with fish and or deer preferably both like you're gonna go home and just put stuff straight in the freezer he has all the space there, all the tools there, um, commercial vacuum sealers, freezers galore. So like we literally left there. He provides the boxes, which are insulated. You're going home with all of your meat fully trimmed, fully packed, commercially um, sealed, and then just like literally go home and put it in the freezer and you're done. It was yeah, amazing. It's, yeah, that part's just killer. The... the um... That, that part was fun too. The days we went fishing, you know, yeah. they, I think in the summer they're used to, um, the fishermen come and, and they don't want to like help or I, I don't know, maybe it's a slightly different clientele, but, um, they cut up their fish, but we like actively like, Hey, we want to be involved in this. This is our, our fish. We helped, you know, we caught it. We want to cut it up. And, um, so we jump in there and learned how to fillet and, and mass quantities. That was a lot of fun. Um, and, but yeah, it's like literally, uh, the fish could not be fresher. It, like you catch it goes in a cooler with ice in the boat and then within you know you're fishing that morning so that by evening. 6 7 p.m it's done cut up vacuum sealed and in the freezer it's like it's amazing uh, even and then uh, we've talked about eating the fish at home like my my wife loves it my brother's wife um she's not a big fan of like store-bought fish and then they were over for a barbecue like a month ago and even she was like, holy cow, this stuff is like absolutely amazing. So, um, yeah. And then the meat, the meat part of it, um, just so people know is that they are not a hunting guide service. So you are like on your own. They technically can't even provide you a knife to, to cut up the meat. Um, but they do have, there's a, a walk-in kind of cooler that they, you store your meat in. And then just, um, the best scenario is you're sitting there, um, uh, we kind of waited till the end. Looking back, we should have uh, cut up. You and you and Mike were out in the shed till like 1 a.m. one night, you know, just yeah. cutting up meat. Um, but if you chipped away at it, just if you kill a deer, you know, do an hour here, hour there and, and cut it up. So it's not such a big task at the end of it. But 
yeah, you're, you cut up your own meat. Um, debone it. Uh, you guys both went super like, yeah, got it all packaged up into steaks and everything and brought it home and straight into the freezer. I was uh, lazy and just had the quarters, uh, frozen and brought them home and took them to a, to a butcher. So, yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's a wrap today. Happy Friday guys. Hope you, uh, have a good weekend, can get outside for sure. And then, uh, as always, if you got questions, anything like that, shoot us that email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. Steve, enjoy the weekend, man. Yeah, you as well.